There are historical moments that I would be really interesting, and I think would be really interesting to observe. Um, Speeches and conversations that I think would be powerful to hear in person. The Gettysburg Address. I've read that um, the people that were there, um, they they actually kind of missed it because Lincoln's speech was so short and the guy who spoke for, for before him like spoke for like two hours and then Lincoln gets up and you know, four score and seven years ago, boom, done. And, and people were like, wait, what just happened? I would love to be there as an observer to actually hear Lincoln's voice as he speaks this, this speech to, to comfort and call together a nation. I think that'd be powerful. I've also wondered what Martin Luther's voice sounded like when he said those words, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. Because I've heard some people say that this is a bold statement, you know, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. And I've heard other people who wrote about it who really know some some good stuff who are like, he was coming undone. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. I think there's room for both of those in his experience. I would like to hear Patrick Henry's speech. Give me liberty or give me death. There is one speech, though. One great monologue that I would love to hear more than any other. There's there's actually no record of what was said beyond the opening words. But it had to have been powerful. Those who heard it reported that that it moved them deeply. And it's the speech that began, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the things the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? What a question. It it takes us all the way back to Genesis 3. When God told the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That word that's translated bruise, it has has an image of grinding. And the images of Jesus stomping on that serpent's head and twisting his heel to kill it. While at the same time, that motion bruises him. That conversation probably would have drawn from the Psalms heavily. Like Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted his heel against me. In Psalm 22, they have pierced my hands and feet. And all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. In Psalm 69, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar to drink. At some point, that conversation 
would have had to have focused on Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we were healed. He may have even discussed Psalm 16, verse 10 with them, which says that God will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your holy ones see decay. Oh, how our hearts would burn within us to hear Jesus explain why it was necessary to suffer these things and then enter into his glory. This, however, is something that people struggle with. Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection are a scandal. They are a stumbling block. And to many people, just plain foolishness. I've had the conversation many times in which someone says, I really like a lot about what Jesus says, but why should he have to die for me? That's often followed by a statement of not being that bad of a person or that they even might be a good person. And we wrestle with this too sometimes, don't we? Couldn't God have have done this a different way? How does one man's death atone for the sins of all humanity of all time? Don't I need to do something now to get this forgiveness? Isn't there some some part of this that I have to earn? What about that, that one thing I did way back when? That thing that I never, ever talk about because I'm so ashamed of it. Can, can, can that? That can't be forgiven, can it? And Jesus says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. People have tried to explain why Jesus' sacrifice was necessary. I've tried to explain why Jesus' sacrifice was necessary. I've told people, you don't understand how offensive sin is to God, which I think is true. We don't understand how evil and downright damnable sin is. Our sin is. I've told people, you overestimate how good your good works actually are, which is also true. God says through the prophet Isaiah that all of our righteous works are like filthy rags. The Hebrew here is actually rather graphic and gross. And that's your good stuff, kids. I've talked about how it was necessary because only Jesus as true God could fully bear all of our sins. I've talked about how it was necessary for Jesus to die so that he could rise and make the way through death. But at the end of the day, perhaps the best response to the question of why Jesus' suffering and sacrifice were necessary is this. 
he said it was. You know, there are a lot of times that, you know, I kind of like to say, God, wouldn't it be better if you did it this way? But I'm pretty sure that when I do that, his response is, but I'm doing it this way. Because in his wisdom, he understands how all of this works. And so why was it necessary for Jesus to suffer and to die? He said it was. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. And maybe maybe this is a good point for us to take as we work through this pandemic. People will ask, how could a loving God allow this to happen? Where is God when people are suffering? We can tie ourselves in knots trying to answer those questions, talking about the wages of sin as death, and we could talk about God's justice, we could talk about God's mercy. But maybe, maybe it's enough to point out that Jesus suffered, that he has borne our griefs. He rose from the dead. And we'll trust him when he speaks of God's love, mercy, and forgiveness. Because he went through the suffering too. And now, risen from the dead, he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death to everlasting life. And since he has suffered, died, and risen Perhaps he knows something about this that we don't. Will that answer satisfy the angry, the hurting, the fearful? Did it satisfy you? Perhaps not. The last I checked, it was not our job to satisfy everyone, but to be Jesus' witnesses. We are those who walk by faith, not by sight. We wrestle with the same questions and and doubts and fears that everybody has. And at the end of the day, we trust our risen Jesus, who causes our hearts to burn within us with hope because he is risen from the dead for us. He rose from the dead for you. I wish I I could have been there for that speech with those disciples. Perhaps then my walk of faith would be a little bit more sure. But then perhaps walking by faith means that we're walking with Jesus even when we don't recognize that he is walking with us. And so we cling to his promises As he says to us, I suffered for you. I died for you. I rose for you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will come again for you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen.